Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24 7 podcast. Happy to be with you as always. Sean Fitz, Tyler Donahue. A couple interesting conversations we were a part of on calls this week that we're going to dive into in just a bit. Sandy Barber, athletic director for Penn State. Uh, a pretty wide-ranging update on where things stand with COVID-19 testing on campus. Uh, what Beaver Stadium may or may not look like this fall if and when football games are played. About an hour on that call with Sandy. A lot to get to. In terms of uh, pure football content, we got a lot from Jesse Lucetta, a uh, rising junior linebacker at Penn State, uh, competing for that middle linebacker job with Ellis Brooks, uh, came onto campus with Micah Parsons in that linebacker class in 2018. They're very close friends. Got some insight on Micah from him. Got some insight on this linebacker room that could be really special. We'll talk about that in a bit. Some recruiting updates to get to, including notable crystal ball movement toward the Nittany Lions in the 2021 class. And of course, we'll finish things off with our five-star mailbag. But Sean, we were just talking about before we started rolling here on the podcast that going through that transcript from Sandy Barber's call, which again was a very long, detailed, covered a lot of things there, um, you come away from it. And to be honest, it's difficult to glean a lot of positivity away from what that experience was like on Wednesday afternoon. Didn't really give you the warm and fuzzies, did it? No. Unfortunately, no. no. No, I mean, uh, it, and I think if you take a look at, at everything in the last couple of weeks, I mean, it, it seems like steps backward. We talked, you know, for a few weeks there, everything seemed positive, optimistic, and now all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, this is uh, this is certainly something. So I don't still don't know how it's going to end up. I know that I think the, the, the scenarios where you don't see college football are, are a little bit more real today than they were a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, you talk, uh, we talked about the Big Ten not wanting the spring. All of a sudden, you got to open that up to, uh, to consideration. So, I mean, Sandy didn't come out and say that, but reading between her, her, her lines, I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely a real conversation. She talked about definite, uh, reductions in crowds at Beaver Stadium. She was very, very adamant about if you don't have a season ticket, you're not going to see a game in that stadium, which, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you got to take care of your people first and, and that's how it's going to go. But, uh, yeah, she was, uh, she was not the ray of sunshine that we typically, uh, know from her. And, you know, it, it's refreshing. It's, it's nice to know that she's, uh, you know, sort of on that line, uh, with, uh, hey, got to be realistic about these things. And, and that's the way it's going. So, uh, didn't really leave you feeling the best coming out of that conversation, but, uh, here we are. I mean, that there were positives, no doubt about it. I mean, no positive tests, um, no pun intended, uh, 102 tests so far waiting tests from test results from 70, um, other student athletes and nothing so far. So that's, you know, that's good. Um, but it's, uh, it was not the not the conversation you hope to hear uh, just a couple of months from football season. And when she started that sentence, you know, we to this point, as of June 30th, Penn State University has issued 102 tests that have we've gotten results on. And then dot, 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 there was a pause there. And I think everyone's holding their breath. What are we going to get here? Because there's been so many campuses, not so many, but there's been relevant high profile college athletic departments that have dealt with, you know, 20 plus 
cases, like right when they do these tests upon return, you've seen it at Clemson, LSU, uh, the two teams that were in the national championship. So this is in the national spotlight. Fortunately for all who have been tested, I believe that that 102 number comes primarily from football and basketball. Um, they are, were awaiting, we should note, 70 more tests from early this week. Don't know if they have them yet. We're supposed to apparently get uh, some updates every couple weeks is, is the way I heard it. Um, so uh, next time we'll get a higher number for tests that have been taken. And and hopefully we won't get a number uh, th- that is higher for, for positive tests. But you wonder, uh, it's only a matter of time until something ticks up there. But about 70 more tests w- were issued this week to members of the men's and women's soccer programs, women's volleyball. So it's wait and see there. But what we do know is that the football program and how big of the endeavor it was for them. We'll get to Jesse Lucetta. Um, He had a journey internationally and he talked about that being just a a surreal experience trying to to cross the border at this stage to get back to Penn State. But to be able to bring everybody back to campus, uh, almost everybody, they're, they're not quite there from a full roster perspective yet, but State after state after state, getting player back, getting him in that quarantine situation, getting them situated in the hotel, and then resuming some some team workouts with these guys on a voluntary basis in mid-June. You like that the football team at this stage here in the first week of July, no positive tests. And and, and that's that's obviously what a lot of people are fixated on because football here in Happy Valley, of course, just like campuses across America, that is the revenue driver. Uh, that is the front of the train, the middle of the train, and, and everything else is kind of the caboose that, that you're going to be pulling uphill. Yeah, that's um, I guess that's the the thing to latch on from that, uh, you know, keep these guys safe. And, and we've seen it around the country, a bunch of positives at a, at a bunch of different prominent programs. And, you know, you want to keep those... I, I mean, there's there's an argument for for testing positive now, and a lot of these guys don't know they have it. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're just going to keep that clean as much as possible. Um, you know, a couple other things from that call. You know, she mentioned the spring sports. This is something that we talked about way back. Uh, you know, when they're canceling baseball and track and and those other things in the in the spring is what happens to those people. And Penn State's honoring those scholarships. I I, I think that you know. It, not everybody's going to come back. I mean, the the college athlete life is not the glamorous life of of what we like to think it is. So for those guys to come back, I mean, maybe there's another degree involved or something like that uh, says something. So the number's not as high as uh, as as you would expect. I think it was twenty five to thirty students. Still, that's you know that's scholarships for twenty five to thirty students. There's a lot of uh, a lot of cash and donors have stepped up and, and earmarked that. So I think that's good on Penn State to honor that. Um, you know, it's uh, going back to football as we always do. Mentioned it earlier. The season ticket people—they're in the best spot. I mean, the, and I get it. I mean, it's the, those are the donors. She didn't really speak of students um, in terms of ticketing and things like that, but I believe the students will be involved somehow. She um, didn't you, speak you ha- to students, but students heard what she said. Uh, and I was checking a, my tweet just about her comment, and it was getting kind of bounced around for, by students over the course of the last forty-eight hours, including Micah Parsons and Jahan Dotson. Not happy, and and I think they t- interpreted that as as if you don't have money, it doesn't matter if you're paying tuition. Uh, if you didn't invest enough money to be a season ticket holder, you're not in the you're not in the building this year. Um, so I think that lack of clarity on the students and 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 the way that comment came out was perceived by someone like Micah Parsons. And when he shares something like that on social media, people are going to pay attention. Uh, she got, trust me, she was added uh, on Twitter throughout the day yesterday about the student things because I think there was a misinterpretation. I can't imagine they would shut out 
students entirely if there is football in Beaver Stadium? Oh, you can't. I mean, you, you take that away. And I mean, not only do you lose a big part of that atmosphere that you're trying to sort of fabricate right now, but you also, you know, that's that's part of the student experience. You, right alien, there, so. you alienate the situation uh, in a way that makes it become divisive on your own campus and, and you're going to alienate some players along the way as well. Yeah, and it's unfortunate for for Sandy and the athletic department because because they're going to be cast as the villains here, no matter what. I mean, when you when you take a situation like this and say, okay, here's the cutoff. Maybe they bring back those nitty line points and make them worth something. Here's the cutoff. Well, the people below that cutoff are not going to be too happy about, it, especially the ones who have donated a certain amount of money to for the right to buy those tickets. So, I mean, it's they're going to be the bad guys. That they're, I mean, basically trying to make the best of a of a bad situation. So, I mean. I don't know that they're going to come out looking great on this, but uh, there's a lot of things that they have to. It's a very delicate balance. I don't do not envy these people right now, especially the people uh, working the phones for the Nittany Lion Club. Oh, boy, they got something coming their way. Well, you'd rather them take this approach and at least be transparent about where things stand two months ahead of time instead of kind of feeding rainbows and sunshine and, and saying we plan on packing Beaver Stadium, the full capacity. We're going to, you know, the. Despite everything going on across the globe, we're good here in Happy Valley. We're not concerned about about anything else that's happening. We're going to focus on football. That's that's not what you want to hear now either. Uh, some people do. Some people do, and, and they and they've made Sandy Barber and, and Penn State and and different colleges well aware that uh, they think the central focus at this stage should be having a football season because of the revenue and because they get entertainment out of it and because they want to see players catch footballs and tackle each other. We'll find out. Uh, fortunately, these guys were able to get to campus in June. If we were talking about a scenario right now where we had not had the return to campus for college teams in June, I wonder where that would be at, Sean, because you know, I think there would be a lot more doubt cast on getting guys back, getting guys tested, having them become physically ready. Whereas because of the way things timed out, there there would seem to be a span there where um, you know, you could, you could, I don't know, letting your guard down is the right word, but certainly there has been more uh, movement across America for a lot of us and, and, and less, uh, you know, shutter in place kind of scenario. And along the way, freshmen were able to get to Penn State. The veterans were able to get back and, and, you know, these guys are putting in work as much as they can, um, you know, without putting on pads. So, you know, in, re in retrospect, to be able to do that three, four, going on four weeks ago, I mean, talk about taking advantage of, of that spot. Because again, if, if there was no one on campus right now, coaches and players included, I think there would be a lot more question marks about the viability of reconstructing your program here this summer. Yeah, they wouldn't have a chance. I mean, you, you put it very eloquently, but uh, no, they wouldn't have a chance if there's nobody there. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're coming along, they're doing what they need to do and, and preparing as if there's going to be a season. I mean, it, it, you can't say for sure a couple of months out, but probably by the end of the month, I mean, you're, you're going to have some clarity on this. So I, I, I don't know. I read a couple things yesterday, which, uh, you know, didn't fill me with the warm and fuzzies either. So it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, you sort of walk in that line as long as you can and then making a decision. Obviously, we know from a recruiting standpoint, no visitors in August, and that is likely to bleed over into the fall. But, uh, you know, if there's no games to host them at, I, I don't, I don't, I really don't know what to say. 
And just a reminder, we're talking about August 7th um, is being the start of, of when teams are going to get reacclimated um, in this preseason practice period when you can have the opportunity for 25 on-field practices. Um, July 24th, uh, we're talking about uh, some of those walkthroughs happening. So these dates are not too far down the road all of a sudden as we record here on July 3rd. Um, Sean, three weeks away from, from that scenario, um, there's another big scenario that looms extremely large. And it's, it's actually what I asked Sandy about during the phone call is, look, it's been important to, to have this phase return. Everyone's fixated on doing this the right way and getting your football programs and your athletic programs back. What is the hurdle, though, that everyone's looking at, not just at Penn State, but in college athletics, when you reopen the doors to your general student population? And for Penn State, we're talking about, you know, students in classrooms, actually, as of now on August 24th. And to me, that is the big date I circle, um, because if we're still on track for a football season starting on time at that point, great. But... (laughs) This is going to be a massive influx to people from all over the country, potentially beyond the country, I would imagine, uh, coming back to campus. And and you've lived here this entire time. I've been around this entire time. It has been a sleepy town, a quiet town, not what we're used to. Um, And that's all set to change in about six, seven weeks. And how does that impact the ability to stay on track? Well, it's already started to change. And, and you, I mean, if you drive through downtown, you see it. I mean, there's a lot of people out and, you know, thankfully people have their masks and things like that. But I mean, there's still people playing beer pong in the front yard. You know, it's part of a college town. It's part of what's going on. So when you add 40,000 people to that mix and a lot, that's a lot of beer pong. So, I mean, you're going to see a bunch of, uh, you know, I've been saying for a while, State College has, has been sort of a bubble and it's sort of a haven from this whole thing. And you could just blow that all up. And, you know, that I think yeah, State College isn't alone. You have a lot of college towns that are like that. I mean, you know, the, the ones that are in urban areas and cities and things like that is it, they're better off in terms of just sort of easing into that. Uh, I think it's going to hit State College eventually, and and it's going to be tough to deal with. So, yeah, I think I don't know that there is an answer on that either. I mean, you you want to get as far into this as you can um, and and really explore these scenarios because you're talking about scenarios where you play a full season. I mean, let's be honest, it's not going to be a full crowd. And and to be honest, it's not the most important thing in the world. Um, Then you've got taking out the non-conference game, starting the season uh, September 27th, October, the first weekend of October, whatever that works, play all conference games. You know, I could, I could see that, but you, you want to have this in advance. I mean, we talk about, um, how the NCAA has instituted the dead period. Well, they had the June news in April. They had the July news in May. They had, you know, the August news in, in June. You want to be a couple months ahead of this and you want to know where to, where you're going with that. So, so everybody knows which direction they got to shift their ship in order to get it to where they need to be. And then, of course, you talk spring football. I mean, it's making a lot more sense now than it did a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago. Um, but I think you, you do have to consider that. It's a lot of revenue lost. Um, it's a lot of uh, things like that. But, you know, some revenue is better than, you know, getting a couple of weeks into the season and just have to chop that off. And I, I, I don't know that there's a right answer. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of people portrayed as villains in this that are just trying to make the best of a, of a bad situation. And uh, you just kind of got to go with it. I certainly emphasize with, with leadership on this campus and on other campuses because I can't imagine what they're waking up to every day. And when they put their pillow on the head at night, uh, wondering what is going to be around the corner the next morning. I know that 
you and I and, and hundreds and thousands of other people in this industry that rely on football to cover, uh, to analyze, to speak about, uh, you know, we're stressed out about it. Now I'm putting myself in someone like Sandy Barber's shoes. That's stressful. And I really think the average college kid, you know, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks. You mentioned beer pong on the front yard. That's the stuff that you should be able to do every day in college if you need to. Um, unfortunately, right now, we are not looking at everyday scenario. And the players are who I'm really thinking about um, as well here. The football players, you know that they really got their high, their hopes up. You could tell when they got back to campus. And I hope those are validated. I've, I've privately heard from probably four or five members of the Penn State football squad just asking me if I know anything about what's going on and is football season going to be okay. I don't have those answers to give them. And unfortunately, you know, the, the, all the, the high paying people that work in that Penn State football facility uh, to, to, to make their lives uh, run smooth, they don't have those answers necessarily right now. So extremely tricky situation. Jesse Lucchetta encountered one of those uh, on his way back. Talked about essentially being dropped off at the Canadian border. Um, I believe he was with Jonathan Sutherland and then picked up by by a Penn State official and driven back here. Um, right now, I think everyone understands international borders are not easy to navigate through, and that includes the one just a few hours north of us, Sean. Uh, so glad that it worked out for Jesse. Um, but him, Jonathan Sutherland, uh, Theo Johnson now, Malik Mega, who's on campus, may have some trouble going back depending on how this plays out going back home to Canada clearly they they have their students so there's there's visas there's visas involved there uh but I think Sandy Barber made this point it, when we when you get to campus as a student athlete right now at Penn State really highly discouraged to leave campus because if you do that upon re-entry you're gonna have to go through the quarantine process again you're gonna have to get tested again um and it basically the, the countdown the, the clock starts back from zero for you so they want these players you know uh, to stay here they're not under lock and key or anything but they want them to almost take that bubble mentality for the summer and when you're talking about guys coming down from canada uh clearly that that's just on a different level of what we're talking about yeah, you're asking a lot of these guys. And uh, it's a couple things. Uh, Christian Veyu also made that trip for the Elite 11 last week. We're going to talk about that next week on the show. You've got a, a guest lined up for that. Um, Caleb Williams, by the way, Elite 11 MVP. Uh, a lot of debate on Twitter. Feel free to, to look for hashtag Elite 11 or, uh, or whatever, and, and you can catch up on that. But Caleb Williams is the MVP there. You don't have to look too far. I feel bad for Brian Stumpf and the student sports guys because Trent Dilfer uh, put them in a bad situation. And we'll talk about that more more next week. Um, secondly, were you an everyday beer pong guy in college at Rutgers? Is that uh, is that I, how that how I, I heard that? I couldn't do that because I was an everyday at Rutgers football facilities guy. But I associated often with everyday beer pong guys. My, one of my oldest friends from high school, my my initial roommate at Rutgers. Definitely an everyday beer pong guy. Uh, he came in as an engineering guy, ended up as an everyday beer pong guy. He's doing okay now, but uh, yeah, I've seen what that lifestyle looks like, and, and I can understand why people will gravitate toward it. He's multi-talented then, is what you're saying. So, <laughs> yes. uh, But back to this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a tough one, especially for the uh, the international students. I mean, I can't imagine what uh, what Joseph Darkwa, you know, mm. he has to deal with. I mean, that's a that's a flight. I mean, you, these guys can drive to the border and then get picked up and come down. Malik Mega, I'm, I'm not sure how his move-in went. Did, was he able to bring his family or anything like that? Uh, but, you know, it, it is one of the, we'll, we'll call them loopholes here, where you can get in for education, educational purposes and, and come to the country. So, um, yeah, yeah. 
you're asking a lot of these guys and, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those reality of the situation things when you're hearing about these two guys essentially just being dropped off and handed off to someone else and, and brought the rest of the way. It really uh, brings to, to, to mind the gravity of the situation. But now that they're here, I mean, Luketa's got a chance to, to isolate. Sutherland's been in there as well, but uh, Luketa seemed uh, amped to talk about football. I mean, he, yes. he talked a good bit of football, and that's not what these calls have all been throughout the summer. And it's been, I mean, you you and Mark have been the ones that have been handling the calls. But, hey, we're, we're talking football. And, and Luketa was happy to, to sing the praises of the linebacker group, and we're expecting a, a great group. I mean, I don't think we're expecting a solid group out of this, uh, this mess, uh, but you're expecting a great group of linebackers at Penn State. Solid would not come close to expectations I think if that's the way we're characterizing it in November or December certainly the expectations are potentially elite and it uh, helps to have the best linebacker in the country in that in that it's a mix. great st- great starting point and I have a, a story up on Thursday on online247.com about how this Penn State group has the ingredients to be one of the best in college football Jesse Lucchetta would be quick to correct me because he went on the record during this phone call multiple times and he said he expects them to have the number one linebacker unit in the entire country you know he, he was not shy about it he said go ahead and quote me we all certainly did and and I included that in my story and Jesse's always great to speak with that's one of Jesse's go-to's isn't it? just Go ahead and quote me. Yeah, go Just, ahead. Thanks. Okay, well, and I love you're that. already on yeah. the record. So. <laughs> yeah. But uh, J- Jesse's always been tremendous to deal with going back to his time as a Penn State commitment, class leader back then. Great guy to get in front of the microphone whenever that does happen. And he handled this call very well. Um, t- discuss kind of what he's been when been preparing on admitted that you know you do lose something physically not being under Dwight Galt's watch although Galt and his staff are interacting with these guys remotely over the course of these months and Jesse said you know, five days a week he was getting up before 5 a.m and and going out and running and, and trying to do the best to stay in shape but he said the one thing that he could control was getting sharper mentally and we've heard that from guys like Pat Fryermuth too just more fixation on on being able to study your own film, being able to study your opponent's film for the upcoming season. And uh, it really feels like he has his head on uh, straight in a way at linebacker that, you know, as you would expect in your third year to be at a different level. Uh, but that, that seems to be for him where he sees the Penn State team and specifically at linebacker, uh, a lot of a lot of mental sharpness, he feels like from this program. And, and I think they're in a pretty good spot from a leadership and accountability standpoint, something we've talked about in the past. But at linebacker, we're talking about a room that loses two multi-year starters in Jan Johnson and Cam Brown. And that's a scary scenario for a lot of linebacker groups across college football to, to d- be devoid of two starters. Granted, the one guy who returns as a starter, as you said, the, probably the best defensive player in college football. But they are not looking at a scary situation here. I wrote about nine linebackers in, in that story because you can go down in the list They've got four former five stars in the 24-7 sports rankings and four former four stars in those rankings as well. And uh, all of them eligible to stick around through 2021. Don't hold your breath on Micah Parsons, but uh, five of these eight are eligible to be around in 2022 and beyond. So this is a room that should be in good shape. And and you look at middle linebacker where Jan Johnson, the former walk-on, held it down the last couple of years. Ellis Brooks got a lot of action in there each of the last two years. Uh, uh, you know, Jan Johnson was not out there for three downs throughout every game. Ellis Brooks was was getting series. He's now a redshirt junior, a fourth year guy. Luketa 
broke in through special teams, saw some significant action on defense last year. He's viewed as as a kind of a go-to voice in that locker room going into his junior year. And to me, that that's one that that I'm ex- I mean, again, I don't know if we'll get to see it. I was going to say I'm excited to see it. I don't know if we'll be on the practice field this year, but those guys, I mean, talk about the opportunity that both of them have. You win this job, and I don't think anyone who wins it is going to get 100% or even 90, 85% of the reps at middle linebacker over the course of the year. Whoever wins this job, though, can put themselves in position to be the starting middle linebacker at Penn State for two seasons, and and that's pretty significant. That's an attractive, uh, <laughs> an attractive label to carry with yourself. Uh, yeah, you're right, I, and I think these are two highly contested uh, spots. I think that uh, Brandon Smith probably has a bigger edge over Lance Dixon than Ellis Brooks has over Jesse Luquette. I think just because of the uh, experience factor when you take into to account Ellis Brooks has played a decent amount of football over the last couple of years and he's, he's done pretty well. I mean, he's not the, the most athletic guy in that group. You know, he's a little bit physically limited, but he's done a nice job and, and he's surprised me as a blitzer. So you, you want to make the argument that Penn State's probably going to roll a lot of those two linebacker sets with Parsons and uh, and Brandon Smith, because Brandon Smith kind of has that that length, and in, in addition, those linebacker skills. Cam Brown obviously was drafted, you know, p- played a lot of football for Penn State, but you know, at times would the linebacker skills would get away from him. So I'm, I'm excited to see that twosome. But at the same time, I think Ellis Brooks is going to have, um, or, or Jesse Lucetta, probably lean Brooks right now, um, what it, is going to have a pretty big role in this team, and and you know, it's just uh, the guy that you want to throw in the middle there. You throw the 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 typical middle linebacker labels on him coachable uh you know a very uh smart kid in the middle makes the calls and all that kind of stuff so i think he's going to have a uh, sort of a profound impact on this defense, even though he's he's not the physical the most physically talented out of that group. But I mean, you've you've got you got to like what you're seeing in there. I mean, Luketta played the will, um, also played some of the mic. I mean, you're going to see him in situations. We saw him at the goal line last year, uh, or in, you know, in the red zone last year. So there's roles for all these guys. Lance Dixon to me is the interesting one. I mean, he you you, you were going to play him last year. The athleticism obviously not an issue. He's probably the most athletic guy in that room, and that's saying something. Um, but, you know, had to sort of pull him back, put him back on the scout team, uh, let him learn some of those linebacker basics. I mean, Lance Dixon's always been a sort of a freewheeler, safety, linebacker, hybrid type guy. You brought him in. You thought maybe he could bridge the gap with his athleticism. Didn't happen. You even pulled him off of special teams and kept that red shirt on him. But uh, they're, they're optimistic that he can take a step. I think that's really where, where it hurts you without a spring. I mean, you got a guy like Dixon and, you know, Smith needs the reps too, but Dixon's a guy that, that that can really help you out if he the more experience that he gets the better. So you said earlier you don't expect the starter to get ninety percent of the reps. You don't expect all that. So I think that's a very um, clear point in this situation where you've got Smith and Dixon. Not going to be a fifty fifty split, but I don't think it's going to be a ninety ten split either. Micah Parsons told us last week or two weeks ago now. He anticipates the first month of the season is going to be a lot of, of, of rotation at linebacker. And that's what you would anticipate. You look at some of those early season non-conference schedule games, Virginia Tech excluded. You think there's going to be an opportunity to really open up your roster a bit in the second half of those games and, and well, get not, guys and not some just work. The, Yeah, not just the second half. I mean, you yeah. want, if you have guys well, that you think yeah. are closer to that line, like a Lucetta or Lance Dixon, or, you know, you can even throw Charlie Catcher out there mm-hmm. a bunch, you know, at linebacker. And, and you can go down the list and, and look at all the positions that Penn, I mean, Brenton Strange and, and Zach Kuntz on offense, on to, at tight end. Des Holmes and, and you know Mike Miranda can can rotate on offense. Caden Wallace get in. There. I mean, 
you you can just look across this board, especially coming off of, of a, a summer where you don't have full conditioning, and you you almost want to do that at at every spot, really. That's and that's a great point because yeah, that, I mean, easing these guys into uh, in, in, in uncharted territory here during the season going to be interesting, and they have the ability to do that at linebacker, as we've said, uh, what they've got going there, and, and to spotlight that sand position again, and to once again serve up a reminder of how healthy this linebacker room is, and and lest we forget. Uh, Brent Pry recruited all these guys, has coached all these guys, or is about to start coaching all these freshmen. That is an awesome part of this dynamic if you're an Nittany Lions fan as well, because you could have all the players, but if you've kind of had some some changes uh, among your leadership and the voice they're hearing, you know, Micah Parsons was hearing from Mike, uh, from uh, Brent Pry as a high school freshman. Now he's a, uh, an All American and he's still learning from Brent Pry. That that is just a such an impressive thing that you don't see that that span much in college football uh, from from recruitment to the end of your college career. And it looks like he's going to get that with with Brent Pry. But again, that Sam spot, you've got the number one ranked outside linebacker in twenty four seven Sports twenty nineteen rankings and Lance Dixon versus the number one inside linebacker in those rankings with Brandon Smith. Again, number one at their respective uh, outside, uh, their respective linebacker uh, recruit rankings, both fighting for the same spot here to play alongside uh, an All-American linebacker and a veteran, whoever it is, a veteran middle linebacker who is not going to be green entering games. And there's just a lot to like about this group, and, and that's why Solid simply will not cut it in 2020. And it's it's also a reason why I think people do look at Penn State and 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 wonder if they have the goods defensively to handle, or handle may not be the right word, but to slow down and, and put their team in a position to defeat Ohio State. When you look at Ohio State's schedule, Penn State seems to have that athleticism uh, across their defensive unit. And, and looking here at linebackers, to mirror a little bit what Ohio State can do with all their weapons. Not an easy task, but I think that's why a lot of folks say if, if Penn State's not going to do it, it's hard to see Ohio State you know, dropping a game maybe until they get into Indianapolis or beyond. So tough to argue with that. I mean, you, you look at what Penn State has put together on defense, and I, and I like where the roster is. I think this is a, a, a playoff push type of roster, and you've got spots where you've got either depth or talent, but linebacker for Penn State is both. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, we and, and granted, we haven't seen a full – uh, the full repertoire of Luketter, Brooks, or, mm-hmm. or Smith or Dixon, but and I mean, Smith, Smith, we're talking about what we anticipate. Clearly, yeah, exactly, it, he's point, an X factor for sure. But you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt based on that pedigree, and and we've seen what what Brent Pry has been able to do with Micah Parsons, who we mentioned last episode was not a linebacker until he got to Penn State. So I mean, you got you got a lot a lot to like there. Um, that defense faltered down the stretch last year, but you know you get another chance this year, and I think it's another good group. And oh, by the way, Sean, the freshman linebackers checked in, and I think we have some some information to, to kind of delve through there. By the way, Curtis Jacobs, another five-star. He's the fourth former five-star in this linebacker room. Uh, he's on campus now. Now, Tyler Elsden uh, got bumped up to four-star status during his senior season, as did Zariah Fisher by 24-7 Sports. And Elsden got on campus in January, but it was the check-in for Zariah Fisher and what you reported out of that check-in with him getting to campus that really, really grabbed my attention in a big way this week. 
Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that, that group just sort of uh, has replenished itself. And we'll talk about that on the recruiting update side of this uh, this ad break coming up. But to throw in three guys like that, I, Jacobs is a 24-7 sports five-star. I've been harping on that one for a long, long time. Tyler Elston obviously uh, is, you know, was a four-star in 24-7 sports. And Zariah Fisher saw a bigger rise than anybody in that in that group. Like so 600 to me, spots, yeah. Yeah, to me, you've got uh curtis jacobs can step in there at the sam and now he can play all three spots i think he's that athletic i think he's, he's that good of a football player um and by the way I, going back to our draft which i hope you guys listen to and tyler's going to have a, a thing on that uh on the site today but curtis jacobs was was under consideration i really didn't take any of those new freshmen uh into heavy consideration but curtis jacobs had to be as much as anybody you, so. you got lambert and i think that i had i had lambert holmes Kaziah holmes and curtis jacobs as the freshman i would consider taking and and you just run out of spots and you need those linemen you do and and it's kind of like lambert's been on campus before so you knew kind of what you were getting with that so that that helps but tyler elston you throw him in the middle uh got to get him a little faster i mean there's no question he's kind of like he kind of came in like lucetta good athlete but not great straight line speed so he's got to get faster i think he's a natural mike and then you've got zariah fisher who's uh you know going to start his career at will came in a lean 230 pounds which you know he was in the 250s at one point, uh, in the high 250s at one point, and you thought it was inevitable that he would move to defensive end. Still think he's a defensive end in the long term, but he's athletic enough. You, you put on that tape, you love what you see from Zariah Fisher. So to me, you've got a natural Sam and Jacobs, a natural Mike and in, in Elston, a natural Will in Zariah Fisher. It's a pretty good formula, man. Talk about, you know, saying, oh, well, I hear guys like Sean Fitz saying I'm going to end up uh, in a three-point stance. How about I shed 25 pounds and come in lean, mean 230 at linebacker? And we heard Probably Fran- just to spite me is <laughs> yeah. what he did. Yeah, you're right. We heard Franklin say last December on signing day, like, you know, look, you look at Zariah Fisher, you, you see the measurements, you probably think this is a kid who's going to be, uh, you know, restricted to, to playing, uh, you know, being a two-down middle kind of linebacker. But you turn on the tape, you see him moving around, forcing turnovers, scoops and scores, and he's doing that at about 260 pounds. That's what Franklin said, 260. Now he's 230, and and consider me extremely intrigued. Uh, when you look at this group, Sean, Elsney gets to campus early. Zariah Fisher's physically different than what I think we anticipated initially to start his career. And Curtis Jacobs is the five-star which of these three, I, I think I can predict your answer, but we'll see, um, is more likely to follow that Luketa Smith Parsons path uh, of getting the immediate playing time as a freshman, burning that red shirt rather than going that Lance Dixon route where, you know, you, you see three, four games and then you're tucked away until next year. I'll go with Jacobs. And that's, I mean, I think that's, he he's 220 right now, which is right, right around where he played, but that's that's skinny for him. He's been up to 230 before, and he's played receiver at 230. So he knows how to carry his weight. He knows how to, to, to handle all that stuff. So I'm going to go with Jacobs. He's so athletic, uh, such a good football player. Um, it's funny you mentioned that Luketa mold because Fisher seems to me, you know, you, a guy that you could put out there on special teams, a guy that you could put out there in different situations and help him grow a little bit. Now, Physically, is is 230 pounds the best spot for him? I, st- I still talk to people who think he's going to be a fantastic defensive end, um, but it it's really um, kind of up in the air. But but in terms of if you put Zariah Fisher in the situation that Jesse Lucchetta was in when you come in in 2018, where there's a little bit more opening, you know, a little a little few more spots that are open for you to have that opportunity to play on special teams to do all that stuff. I think he can fit in, and I think he he could play right away as well. 
We've discussed it before. As as the competition gets tougher at the top of your depth chart with these four and five stars, that's going to make your special teams better uh, in the long run. Uh, you know, guys that may not be starting, they're putting in work on the special teams, and it helps to have blue chip talent uh, in your kick coverage and 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 what have you. So uh, it goes all the way down the roster, and I know Joe Lorig is happy to be the beneficiary of a, of a strong group of blue chip players uh, that have come into Penn State during recent years. We're going to get into some more linebacker talk just around the corner, a recruiting development at that position as Penn State continues to find pieces and look for pieces in their 2021 class. A quick commercial break, but we're back with recruiting developments and additionally our five-star mailbag. Stay with us. Turn our attention back to the recruiting trail now, and something popped up on Thursday, a couple of uh, posts on the message board, ultimately an article as well, Steve Wiltfong, uh, Alan True, Sean, both of these guys had some updates on how their outlook is is shaping up for Jamari Budden, four-star linebacker out of uh, Michigan, pretty close with with some of the commits who are already on board from that region. And Steve Wolfong has a crystal ball pick in, and, and Alan True already had one there. But we have these the confidence meter going now on 24-7 sports where you can apply uh, 1 to 10, 10 being the highest form of lock for a, a committed predict, for a prediction for a commitment. Uh, Allen goes from a 2 to a 7 for Budden to Penn State. So when those guys make those kind of moves, I always say it, it's worth perking your ears up. And, and Allen knows a lot of people in that Belleville, Belleville community. Excuse me. Um, Budden has been a kind of a mystery because he's he's been a guy that's sort of marked to his own drum uh you know michigan was on him early they're not in the picture anymore they've sort of moved on um but kind of gave him the opportunity to jump on board and he said no thanks i'm good um and you know since then it's come to penn state and michigan state and y- you wondered if the new coach bump with uh with with mel tucker out there is going to do anything um you know and, and it, obviously they they're a presence in state. I mean, as much as we like to rip on on what that program has been through and, and do all that stuff, there's still a presence out there, and, and especially in the Detroit area. Um, so when you're trying to build out from as a new coach, you want to start in areas like that. So um, I don't think Michigan State uh, was to be taken lightly, but, you know, we've heard some good things over the last couple of days, and he announced that he's going to announce his announcement in July. So we're waiting on the second part of that for him to announce his announcement. Um, still wouldn't be surprised if it was this month uh or not too long from now at all so um we'll see what happens with uh with budden i like their picks i like steve's pick and and alan's pick i mean usually when you've got uh those two guys on your side which we're grateful that we do and and they're saying something you listen so um really uh you know, happy to have those guys on our side. And I think Penn State will be happy to take Jamari Budden. Uh, we got a, a mailbag question last week or two weeks ago about mm. does this start a sort of domino effect? I, I don't think it does. And, and I do think Penn State gets gets Budden, but I don't think it starts another wave of commitments or anything like that. But I mean, with Penn State, I mean, we're, are we going to say stop the bleeding? Is that what we're going to go with uh, here? Because, you know, it's been bad news after bad news. So to get back on it with a guy like Budden, who's a four-star by 24-7 sports in the composite, a lot to like as an athletic specimen. And, you know, just keep going in that direction. He would be commitment number four on the defensive side of the football for Penn State out of the Detroit area. Caleb and, and Kobe King, Caitlin and Kobe King going to play a cornerback and linebacker, respectively. Jalen Reed, a safety prospect. And uh, Budden, six foot two, 200 pounds, a guy who has visited mul- uh, multiple times to Happy Valley. The other team mentioned there with Michigan State and Penn State is, is Minnesota here in the late stages of his recruitment. So, yeah, pos- uh, possibly 
pickup number 13 for the Penn State class, not too far uh, down the horizon, but uh, we'll, we'll stay engaged with that recruitment, continue to listen to Alan and Steve. Um, and of course, uh, if Sean hears anything, he'll let our VIP subscribers know as well. Um, Sean, we're also keeping an eye on, on a new offer, uh, tight end target, Jack Nickel. This is one that on the surface, and, and I'll tell you what, myself, I saw the offer go out on, on Wednesday and, you know, it's a, it's a, tight end in the 2022 class from the Atlanta suburbs. Many say, okay, just, you know, kind of a dart at the board, a kid that they, they like, and I guess maybe they can see if he'll visit someday down the road. Well, no, it turns out you posted a picture on our message board that he was on campus for the Purdue game last year. I ended up catching up with Jack Nickel, and it goes a little bit beyond that. Not only did he visit the homecoming game last season and, and spend a day in, in uh, Beaver Stadium uh, with his father, with his younger brother, his father grew up in the same town as Kajana Carter, and they remain in touch. He says that they communicate probably on a monthly basis, have a phone conversation, and he's been coached by LeVar Arrington in an all-star event and came away very excited about this opportunity at Penn State, pointing to the tight end production as just about every tight end that we speak to points to what Pat Frymuth and Mike Kosicki have done in that room during recent years. Uh, this is a kid, nickel, six foot four, 230 pounds, led his squad in, in, in catches and every rece- receiving statistic last year. It was a run heavy offense down there um, at Milton High School in Atlanta. But uh, Sean, this is a, you know, one tight ends always kind of, you know, gravitate towards Penn State, although they don't have that 2021 guy on board. But when you kind of, as I was talking to him in the background unfolded, I was like, Whoa, there are there's a lot of connections here for for an offer that just went out to a high school junior in in Atlanta. I was taken aback by that a bit. Yeah, this is not really a new name on the list. This is and you mentioned he visited back for homecoming in in October, but he's been sort of chipping away at Penn State for a while, hoping that offer would come. And he's got a pretty good offer list. Uh, you know, he's, he's got Notre Dame on there. He's got some other schools. Wisconsin is is a school he mentioned to you. Yeah, he um, said Notre Dame, Florida State, Wisconsin. He's he's talking to Ohio State on a consistent basis. They had not offered yet, but yeah, he, he's certainly a guy who's going to have a, an excellent list of choices. Oregon offered, and of course, you know he's he's from the Atlanta area, as Tyler Bowen is from uh, Georgia as well. So he's sort of had that connection with him, and and like I said, kind of chipping away at that. Nichols always been a guy that's been very interested. Penn State, I think, wanted to see a little bit more from him, and from what oh, Nickel tells me, tells me, he he got them some workout tapes, and that's really what put him over the top. So. Um, you know, this is a guy that's been interested for a long time for him to make that trip without an offer on his, di- on his own dime. Um, you know, is, it kind of says, says something about how he views Penn State. So I, I think that there's, there's something there. And, and granted where Penn State is with its 2021 tight end situation, you don't know if they're going to, you know, take, uh, Khalil Dinkins or, or maybe come circle back around with one of their other targets, but it's pretty open right now, which is pretty attractive if you're a 2022 tight end. Absolutely. Um, turning our attention to, to 2022 quarterback spot. And as we addressed in 2021, all the way up to the point where Christian Veyu committed to Penn State, it is crucial to get a quarterback on board as early as you can in a lot of times. And uh, to be that guy who beats the drum and, and goes searches for other recruits and, and helps you build your class. And right now, no commitments on board for 2022. About 180 scholarship offers reported out among these players who are going to be high school juniors in the fall. Uh, you spoke with one of their quarterback targets out of a premier prep program in New Jersey, Bergen Catholic. Yeah, Steve Angeli, uh, another one of those guys that visited last year. I believe he was at the season opener and picked up his his offer from Penn State then. Also camped for the Nittany Lions last year. Uh, I had a conversation with him this week, and you know he's pretty... Uh, open about Penn State's offense and how he's excited to see 
what Kirk Shiraka does, thinks it maybe fits him a little bit better than 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 Ricky Ronnie's what Ricky Ronnie did when he was offensive coordinator. So I think that's that may be a theme that you start seeing with these twenty twenty two quarterbacks. Angeli is an he's an athletic kid, but at the same time, uh, these quarterbacks want to play quarterback. They don't want to play running back. So I think that that's something you take into account. A uh, lot of offers out there in the twenty twenty two class. Braden Davis is obviously a guy to know uh, down at Delaware who camped. Bo Prabula uh, at York is a guy that they've had on campus, and you can sort of lump him in with Preston Howard at McDonough. Quarterbacks who may not may not be quarterbacks in the next level, but they're pretty good quarterbacks at the high school level. I think a guy to a, a guy to know AJ Duffy out on the West Coast is probably the I think he yes. was the first guy that the first Kirk, offer. Yeah, the first guy that Kirk Shiraka offered as as Penn State's offensive coordinator. So I think that sort of uh, registers with him. You've talked to MJ Morris and Gunnar Stockton down at Georgia, so sort of casting that wide net, but. Angeli, Braden Davis, Prabula, those guys uh, that are sort of in the region, you, you kind of gravitate to them. Uh, of course, they, they just offered Quinn Ewers, uh, the number one quarterback in the country from Texas, but still, you got to throw your you're not going to catch anything if you don't throw your line in. Um, but you gravitate back to the region. You see those guys in there. It's a pretty good uh, selection for at least this point in the process, especially when you haven't had camps, uh, you haven't been able to see any of those 22 uh, guys throw in camp or the Elite 11 circuit or anything like that. So um, the, it's probably a bigger net than you would think given the circumstances. But when you've got talent like that in your backyard, you kind of got to make a point to get out there and get in front of those kids. And, and Jelly seemed you know, fairly uh, hopeful to get to Penn State or back to Penn State at some point. He was kind of disappointed that he didn't get out to see all the schools that he wanted to visit. LSU's coming after him hard. He's got that Ohio State offer. Rutgers, I think, is going to be a presence here because that's, you know, you you and I were talking the other day. Rutgers has a, a really good pitch because they, you know, really haven't taken anybody in the 2021 class. You've got that in-state movement strong with Greg Schiano and all that kind of stuff. You know, if you're looking to build around a guy, Angeli seems like a pretty good guy to build around, and, and I think they've sort of made that clear to him as well. We, look, we've seen Maryland do it to some effect, and, and you know, a guy like Damian Robinson's a perfect example. Raheem Jarrett. If you can convince some, you don't need to do it with all the guys, but if you can convince some of the marquee players within your home state, you know, within the neighborhood of your recruiting territory, if you can convince them to stick around and give it a shot. Uh, and be be that br- that initial brick in the foundation. You know, I, I've heard Shiano give that speech in Rutgers facilities. That was coming off of, of a bowl appearance, so it was a different thing. But you know, trying to build something, and now he's really trying to build something from the bottom up again, like he did in the late, you know, the early two thousands. So, uh, going to be interesting to see how, how that factors in with the quarterback. I would imagine Rutgers will be all over this kid, and uh, we we noted this before, but uh, let me just brush up my memory. Prabula. Uh, one the one of the two three is he the first Pennsylvania quarterback to get an offer from from Franklin? I I forget how we sorted through that. I forget where Brandon McElwain fit in. Uh, we're talking about very rare territory though in terms of there being a quarterback offer out, expect particularly at this stage of, of the cycle within the home state. Yeah, they've offered a few. I mean, uh, Phil Jerkovic out west. Uh, Kyle That's McCord right. is, is from Jersey, so I don't know if we yeah. count him or not. McIlwain. Um, but it does, you're right. I think the point stands. It doesn't happen too often. So for, for a Pennsylvania quarterback to have an offer at least this early in the process, and again, you know, he's a really good athlete. I don't know that he's a quarterback at the next level, but he's a pretty good quarterback right now. Um, but is he a linebacker? Is he a tight end? Is he something else? I don't know. But uh, they, they felt enough about his ability as a football player, his athletic ability on top of that the measurables check out and an in-state kid so he checked a lot of the boxes to get that offer like i said 
is it a two quarterback class? I, I I could see it being a two quarterback class in the sense that you take a you know one of your top guys and then Probula, Preston Howard, um, maybe a uh, a flex you know, tight end athlete linebacker whatever you want to call them. Um, you can take a couple of those guys in this class and it should be a bigger cycle. Um, don't know how the numbers are going to work out, especially because we don't know how the twenty season is going to work out but uh yeah you've got some flexibility there but yeah you've got angeli you've got Braden davis and, and you want to shoot nationally as long as you can um for, for 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 a quarterback so i guess that's kind of where they find themselves in the 2022 class um of course you know you put up a good season in 2020 i think that can go a long way in what you can do uh for the 2022 class Penn State has signed a pair of two quarterback classes under James Franklin 2014, 2019. In both instances, one of those quarterbacks left before their second college season. Uh, most recently, Michael Johnson Jr. hitting the transfer portal, and he fit that quarterback slash athlete mold that you're kind of uh, referencing there. Um, and, and something that's interesting that you talked about from Angeli, and, and I've heard it a little bit, uh, is you know maybe there is a better fit at Penn State with this new offensive coordinator for me as a quarterback. And uh, kind of taking a longer look at the situation and just wait until Penn State can maybe play some football games and showcase what exactly that looks like. What does a Penn State quarterback look like now? How is that position handled under Kirk Shiraka? Because that could really change the perception of everything. And I'll say this again, all of a sudden LSU is going after every big time quarterback and landing all these guys. And it seems like every quarterback has LSU on their short list. You know, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, it was about a year ago where the bugaboo about the LSU Tigers was they couldn't find consistent quarterback play or develop consistent quarterback play. Really, you know, you go back to Jamarcus Russell, and that's a, a pretty long span where it was holding them back. So, you know, one year can really change the complexion. And, you know, one year in recruiting, uh, that, that goes a long way. That goes a long way. So something to, to keep tabs on. Of course, they got to get out there and play football first and, 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 and showcase that Sean Clifford does take a step forward and that quarterback situation does take a step forward. But something to monitor and just found it pretty interesting that he's already referencing that to you. And we haven't seen Kirk Shiraka lead a single Penn State practice to this point, but you're still seeing some ripple effects. Yeah, and, and you've seen what he did, did at Minnesota, and you're impressed by what he was able to put together, especially, you know, as they went on that run last year. Had, it was successful at Western Michigan. You know, it, it, you know, he's been tied to P.J. Fleck for a while, but he's also, uh, you know, contributed and, and developed quarterbacks along the way. Tanner Morgan was a Western Michigan commit at one point, so he was not the blue chipper that – you know, you turn from a blue chipper into a blue chipper. He's, he's done some, some good things. Also, uh, neglected to mention Destin Wade is a guy that you've talked about, a pair of twins down in, in Tennessee. Twins, man. Another yep. one of those guys. It's a really, really good athlete, uh, pretty good quarterback as well. So we'll see, uh, how he fits into the picture and, and, and his brother as well. So, uh, moving on, uh, still in the 2022 class, you wrote about Brandon Cleveland from, from Florida this week. Uh, defensive tackle 2022. You don't see a ton of these top lists from the 2022 guys. Um, but there's a reason for that for Brandon Cleveland. Yeah, kid down in Carrollwood Day, um, Tampa, Florida, and he seems to be really moving on toward a decision fast. He put out a top seven uh, just a couple days ago, and, and then I believe it was Andrew Ivins who was on the report uh, for 24-7 Sports, and uh, Cleveland stating that a, a commitment likely to come soon. Um, so expecting that maybe this month certainly sounds like this summer. And, you know, the, the, the the one thing that you question here in, in terms of how will that commitment stick is, you know, this top seven list he put out, you including Penn State, 
there's a lot of programs on there that offered during the, the shutdown. So maybe there's been some communication um, virtually, but again, unless he's going to be willing to commit to a school blindly uh, without being on campus and, and getting that experience. And, and if a staff is willing to accept that commitment, uh, that's the other part of the equation. I, I don't really know how he'll commit to a, a program that he didn't already previously visit. So uh, I, th- I want to say like four or five of those top seven schools on his list. I don't think he's been able to get to in person so far. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a kid who has drawn a ton of interest early. His cousin Tyree Cleveland was, was a five-star recruit. Four or five years ago, kid who was committed to Houston for a long time and ended up flipping to the Florida Gators. Now he's a Denver Broncos rookie with KJ Hamler, actually. But uh, you know, so we'll, we'll find out with him. It's always tricky in Florida. Throw in a, a, a global pandemic and good luck figuring this thing out. Yeah, we had a nice little <laughs> laugh about the Florida thing. Um, I mean, it definitely be an early commitment. I would think Florida State. I mean, you just look at where he's – that was the last place that he visited. Uh, And granted, when he visited, he didn't have an offer. So, um, you know, this might be something that he's been looking at for a long time. And and Florida State is, you know, on the – on the ascent of that new coach bump. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with them. Not really expecting much for Brandon Cleveland uh, from a Penn State point of view, but uh, to, to be on that list, to, you know, says something about Jaywan Sider, I would think. And I would th- I would think even if he if he does go through with a commitment somewhere else, don't cross him off the list for Penn State just yet either. I is I don't think you're doing. We're talking about commits in the 2021 class, thinking well maybe Penn State can work their way back into this thing when when normalcy resumes, quote unquote. 2022, forget about it. I, I think you know commitments are going to be very fragile in that cycle. Uh, going to a, a top list that came out in the 2021 class, um, so a bit more notable, and at a position where Penn State is still on the hunt for a commitment, we have some questions about what they're going to do at running back, but Jalen White is a very interesting case study in this coronavirus-era recruiting world because he didn't get his first offer until the end of his junior season last November, Tennessee offered him a uh, Penn state offered him in mid February and a bunch have come since, uh, you know, February on has been busy for him. June was a very busy month for his recruitment. He just put out a top list has Penn state in there. Uh, he's out of Alabama. He's looking at a postseason commitment, which I think suits him well, and it suits all the teams well because it gives you some time to kind of gauge the viability of, of making visits and, and actually getting to build a relationship but he, well, when Penn State offered him, he was outside the top 30 in composite running back rankings. He was just starting to build a, a Power 5 offer sheet. Now, as he releases this list, Sean, he is a top 10 running back recruit for the composite rankings. I think 24-7 Sports has him as maybe the number 7 running back in the country. He's got all these offers. A, a name to know for sure, but again, I can't wrap my head around the fact that so many of the schools on his top list have not hosted him on campus, but again, I guess such is the way of recruiting these days. Yeah, dictate the circumstances dictate that, no doubt about it. Jalen White's a guy, when I did that that fantasy recruiting draft back with the 24-7 sports team earlier in the pandemic, Jalen White's a guy I took a, a hard look at for my running back. Um, I think he's a very talented kid. Penn State's been on him for a while through Jaywan Sider, and, and really that's why they're on the list, is, is he's kept up that relationship with Sider. And we always you know separate the, the two guys, Donovan Edwards and Amari, Daniels as the top guys, but Cider is a guy that keeps in constant contact with with a lot of people. And it's not just guys that Penn State wants. I mean, you take a look at Tyleek Williams, uh, the defensive tackle in, in Virginia. Penn State really hasn't been on his list for a while, but still said he remains in contact with Jaywan Sider nearly every day. So, I mean, 
Snyder's a guy that puts in that work. You know, the the relationships and the sort of magnet magnetic personality is one thing, but he also puts in the work in terms of keeping up contact with with a ton of guys. I mean, just like guys that you wouldn't even think about and think of being on the radar. Um, Jalen White's one of those guys, and I think he's a, a guy if he's going to make a decision after the season, where if you can have that not really in your back pocket because he's not you know it wouldn't be a lock to go to Penn State at all, but if you can be have that relationship and stretch it out through the season and eventually maybe get them on campus for an official, um, you know, you've got yourself a shot. So I see that with a bunch of these running backs in the 2021 class. I know we focus on those other guys, but sort of Cider just keeping things open, keeping his options open, because at the end of the day, you know, if Penn State's, uh, you know, coming up short in other areas in in 21, maybe you move on one of these guys, uh, turn up the pressure and see what you can get out of them. So I think Jalen White, while I don't think he's going to end up at Penn State, I think being in that top 10 is is sort of positioning positioning yourself for the long run which is something that that cider's been doing very well with, with some prospects and with j1 cider the way he is interacting with these guys remotely look what he can do with one weekend on campus for an official visit he can sway he can sway the situation he can really turn the tide in penn state's favor we've seen it happen before can these visits happen will these visits happen I know that's the glaring question. Everybody's beating their head against the wall about this possibility. Um, in the grand scheme of things, <laughs> not a huge issue that everyone's facing across the country, but here in our recruiting, football recruiting niche, it's a huge question. And uh, it's just really, you know, it, you just wonder how classes are going to get filled out in, in a responsible way um, if those visits can happen down the road and uh, tough decisions. And as we said, do you see, is this a case where a guy like White, who has all these schools that he got offered by right before or during the shutdown, does he say, I'm fine waiting until April 2021 to, to figure this thing out if he needs to? Just something that we'll continue to keep tabs on. Uh, but yeah, running back's an interesting spot. Sider's relentless. Doesn't happen by accident. The success he has on the recruiting trail and uh, what Barkley Sanders have done in the NFL level. What Journey Brown and that running back group is capable of doing and has done, um, there's just there's a lot to hang your hat on that at that position. It's not something that you really get stressed about. And as we've said, it's it remains a bit of an open-ended uh, situation as we look at what the 2021 class could become down the road. Um, the five-star mailbag has been filled up uh, throughout these months. We really appreciate it. It's about time to refresh with some new uh, uh, some new mailbag questions. So if you can pound them uh, into that mailbag, we'd appreciate it because we've got uh, we've been kind of running the gamut with a lot of them. The well's running a little bit dry. So you know, if you already asked one, ask another. If you've been shy about approaching us, uh, n- knock it off. Join the party. Throw in your mailbag question. We'll get to it, and we're going to get to one right now. I spent a little bit of time on it from Coatsy twenty one twenty seven. He asked us, Sean, if you power rank the Big Ten for the next five years, where do you think Penn State has positioned itself? You and I did not sit down and, and rank the Big Ten teams uh, from Rutgers on up, but we, we looked at a top five situation here. And, and before I get to my top five, Sean, and before we break this thing down, a couple teams that have really been steady near the top of this list and probably inside the top five on most years, I don't know about their trajectory. Michigan State and Iowa. 
Michigan State, you know, some programs handle the transition from a longtime coaching staff to a new coaching staff well. Uh, Ohio State's a good example. Uh, you know, Oklahoma's a good example. Uh, Michigan State, they were, you know, crashing and burning towards the tail end of the last regime. I wonder how it's going to play out from here. I think, I know, I like the new head coach. Um, and I, I, you know, I think they, they do have Detroit, uh, in their back pocket for, for years and years now, it seems. Uh, but I wonder how much of that is going to be in jeopardy. And then Iowa is the other one I point to, uh, what do they look like long-term over the next five years? They're in an interesting situation right now. That's not really dictating my mindset here, but, uh, is Iowa going to sustain itself as a top five program? And I think Nebraska, by the way, major wild card here. It's very fair to say that the people who thought Frost was going to show up and do some kind of central Florida magic trick and, and put them right in the, the national championship conversation. And, and, and that happened for the Cornhuskers. Not even close so far. They have a lot of work to do. I didn't put any of those teams in my top five. Nebraska was maybe the one I thought about the most, Sean. But just wanted to kind of share some thoughts because, you know, Michigan State and Iowa in particular, for really the last five, ten years, they've been staples near the top of the Big Ten pecking order. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what, especially that Michigan State. I mean, because you think mm-hmm. back five years and Michigan State was firmly in this mix. I mean, they were in the college football playoff team. I mean, yeah, it's easy so. to forget now, but yeah, that was, um, that was something, but, uh, no, I mean, you, you look at, I look at this and you see four teams that really jump out at you as sort of guys that you could probably project. Um, especially, you know, Ohio state, number one, I don't think there's any yes. question about it. I have Penn state number two. Um, and that's, it, it, it's probably more, you know, I know Penn state pretty well. So, you know, it's probably more familiarity than anything because Wisconsin's number three, but of course, Wisconsin in the West, they've been so solid for so long and they had that down year two years ago, but still they've been so solid for so long. You can make an argument for number two, just based on, Hey, it's going to be East versus West every year in the championship game. And one of those East teams is going to be left out. Um, so I got, I got, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan. I know everybody loves to rag on Michigan. Solid program, really done some good things. It'll be interesting to see which direction they go with Jim Harbaugh if they can't get over that Ohio State hump, which is so big um, for that school and that program to get over. I, I don't know how they're going to make it work. And then that fifth spot, you kind of it, it's really muddy because you you like to throw Iowa in there just because the sort of the same reason you would throw Wisconsin in there, just so solid all the time, but. You know, is that going to continue? Where is Kirk Ferentz going to be in a couple of years? In five years, I, I don't know that he's the coach there, and probably said that five years ago. But still, um, <laughs> it, it, there's a. I, I love Iowa's um, consistency as a program, but there's some things going on there. Michigan State's the same way. Is Mel Tucker the guy? I mean, I, obviously, I follow Colorado. Did I think Mel Tucker was the guy? Eh, I was kind of on the fence about that, but uh, he was not there long enough to to sort of judge him as a head coach. I think he can get some juice. I think he can get some um, spe- specifically in state. I think he can get some things going. Uh, the the funny one for me is Minnesota because yes, uh, PJ Fleck obviously has them going in the right direction or sort of overshot the right direction last year because he was uh, they were so uh, so very good. Um, but is he going to be there in five years? That's my big question. I mean, what's the cap? What's the ceiling on Minnesota in terms of how long you can keep a guy like PJ Fleck, where say a USC comes open or so, one of those uh, flashy jobs, big big time jobs come open? And that's I don't want that to be a slight to Minnesota, but at the same time, I mean, there, there's there's certain tiers in college football, and Minnesota has a ways to go to get back up to to where they want to be. Uh, Fleck's a, a very dynamic coach, been a very successful coach, and you know he's sort of on that. track. So 
I mean, my bet would be that he's not going to be there in five years so that you've got to take that into play. And it's Nebraska. I mean, it's it's July, so we're going to talk up Nebraska. Scott Frost, I think, is, is a good coach. But is that situ- are they dug in too deep there? And the, that's the question that I have. Um, you know, it's a it's a tough place to recruit. Um, you got to go California. You got to go Texas. You got to go everywhere around there. And sometimes that's not necessarily the best uh, opportunity to do so when you're in a situation like Nebraska that's in the middle of, of, of essentially – uh, a dry area in terms of talent in, in, in the United States. So I can make arguments for a lot of those schools. Um, Iowa's been so consistent, but th- some of the stuff. I can stuff see you really came into this one with a really solid number five. Yeah, right. I mean, well, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't either. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this one through with you as you're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's four and everyone else, really. I mean, yeah. you could have made an argument for, you know, in, in that consistent mold, you could have made an argument five years ago for Northwestern. And now all of a sudden they're not really in the conversation either. So. I don't know, man. It's, uh, I'll, I'll go with, with Iowa just cause number one, consistency. Number two, they're in the West. And I think that, you know, you kind of bring a little bit of balance back to it, but, uh, that one's very much up in the air. Yeah, I've got you know, Ohio. I got the same top four as you do, and I was, I actually originally wrote down Michigan as three and Wisconsin as four, but, I mean, does this thing reach a real or true boiling point with Jim Harbaugh sometime soon? You got to wonder. Like, I, I think we all anticipated maybe that boiling point would have happened by now. And maybe maybe it did if you talk to a Wolverines fan and, and their inability to just beat Ohio State, much less their inability to, to go out to these marquee bowl games and look like they're ready to, to really compete at them at times. Uh, and then I thought Wisconsin just steamrolled Michigan last year. Um, was a 28 nothing at halftime and I'm thinking the next five years you know Michigan should have every every resource at their disposal that, that's the one thing in this conversation is who's going to weather this coronavirus financial impact across the big 10 you know there's certain schools that are just they should be okay the the, you know, the 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 blue blood programs including the one that resides here in Happy Valley regardless of how things go even if it's a calamity in college football here in 2020, you think, you know, these are the teams that should be able to, to, to rebound and move forward. And there's going to be other teams that may never recover financially and to the point where they can afford the coaching staff they need, the facility upgrades they'll eventually need. For me, I, I, so we have the same top four. I'm putting Minnesota at five, but that comes with that caveat. How long can they truly keep P.J. Fleck around? Because it, I'm a big believer in P.J. Fleck going back to the, to his days, uh, you know, bouncing around Rutgers and, and the Bucks squad and, and following Greg Schiano early on. Just heard so many great things about this guy early in his career. And you look at what he's been able to accomplish as a head coach. It completely validates all that early hype. And now I think, you know, with Minnesota – they go out maybe maybe get to Indianapolis there this year you know a lot of people think they, they could do that um, I, I certainly think that's that's within the realm of possibilities we'll see what they look like without Kirk Shiraka how much of a part of, of the of the magic medicine was he for that Minnesota program but I think when you look at uh, PJ Fleck if they do well and, and they are a top five big 10 team as I have them projected here is it realistic that he would stick around for five years or is it more realistic that uh you know some team's going to swoop in and present him the opportunities financially and and just uh from building a program the way he may want to uh, and, and he leaves campus. You know, I think that's just a bigger threat at a school like Minnesota than it is when we talk about it with, with Penn State and James Franklin maybe uh, entertaining some offers. I, I just I do wonder about that. 
who knows? Maybe Fleck bucks that trend and tries to build something really special at Minnesota. Um, his recruiting so far has, has been, you know, certainly capitalizing off the big season they had. So I've got Minnesota at five. I don't feel great about it, and it's probably it certainly has some recency bias to it. Um, but I, I think if I was to take Minnesota out and, and just say, oh, PJ Flex gone after this year, I'm taking Minnesota out of my top five. I would probably put Nebraska there. But man, they 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 need to deliver this season. If if they don't come through with, with a season that starts to really even just start to approach the expectations that were provided to Scott Frost when he arrived on campus, then they've got a real problem on their hands through three years there in Lincoln. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch the coach movement over the next couple of years because you've got certain tiers where you see coaches like Fleck uh, moving up in the, in the college football world, and then you've got guys. Um, you know, just sort of on the other end of the spectrum, could a, could a big coaching change happen at, you know, who's next at Iowa? Like who fits into that, that mm. sort of thing? I mean, Ferenc has been there for so long. Who fits it? Is it his son, which obviously, you know, may not be the best uh, opportunity for, for that program as a whole. So I, I just. Not the best week to ask that question. No, not sure. so much. Not so much. So I, there's so many questions about that. And then what's interesting to me is coming off of the, you know, the pandemic and everything and talking about budgets. And we mentioned this before is, are you willing to fire a guy and pay his buyout anymore? I mean, are you just letting, point. let that contract roll over? So I think it's going to be fascinating in the next couple of years to see which schools sort of sit tight and, and deal with what's going on and maybe hope that coach can turn around versus paying him $10 million to walk away. So I think that's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, who's there in five years, uh, you know, anybody's guess i mean you you can take it any you can take a look at any school in this uh in this conference and say okay five years from now you may not be the head coach and you gotta think that's eh, college football these days uh was any part of you wondering if i might throw rutgers in that five spot well when you said we're <laughs> counting from rutgers up i was yeah, you kind of uh, got the I gist, got the gist of, of where you were going with that um i I don't know, man. It's uh, that's a that's tough. I'll sledding. tell you this: I don't think I don't think they're fourteen in the next five years. I I, I will hang my hat on that. I I, I do have that much uh, it, it, faith in Greg Schiano and what they're doing at Rutgers, but it's very much like Maryland. It's going to be that spiel of you know keep the kids home, build something special. But until you stop losing games fifty nine to nothing, what's it going to really equate to? So a lot to prove at, at programs like that, no doubt. There's a cap yeah. on those on how far those guys can go, and you know maybe that cap is uh, being in the Big Ten championship once every fifteen years or something like that. I mean it's 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 really different levels in the Big Ten, and there, we didn't even mention Purdue, which you know is, is a school that we've talked about uh, mm-hmm. you know as a potential riser, but they of course take a step back, and then you know it's funny in in these in college football you've got these three or four year cycles. Uh, Rondale Moore is going to be out of there next year, and and you know David Bell is going to be out of there in two years, and it's just that there's only so much that you can do in a couple of years to turn that around. Now, granted, five years ago Penn State was seven and six, and Michigan State was twelve and two, Iowa was twelve and two. So I mean, a lot can happen, a ton can happen in five years. But at the same time, I mean, you you've got to look at the most consistent programs, and everybody's looking up at Ohio State right now. Wisconsin, despite that step back a couple of years ago, is 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 pretty consistently in the mix for that Big Ten champion slot and Michigan is I mean too big to die you know I, I obviously they they haven't had the success that they've wanted to have but at the same time I mean it's a, it's a potential monster as well so you got that Jordan logo on your jersey I mean it's just it's it's too big to fail at some point but yeah I, I Jim Harbaugh is gone you know that's gonna be a hell of a coaching move to, to monitor 
at some point. That, that that would be wild to see. And and as you said, all these things that have changed, you know, from Penn State being a seven win team and Michigan State being in the college football playoff. Well, from 2012, some numbers, 12, 12, 14, 12, 11, 12, 13, 13. Those are Ohio State win totals season by season. That has been the consistency atop the Big Ten. We'll see if anyone can break through. But for now, uh, can't not have them at number one for either of us right. um, in, in the conference conversation. Right. And, uh, and, so that's and, our- and bringing Penn State back into this, I mean, yeah. it's a testament. When I talk about Michigan being too big to fail, and of course, they had some some down years there. Um, but, I mean, you think about what Penn State has been through with the sanctions and all that kind of stuff. And for them to sort of bottom out at seven and six says about where you know they are at as a program consistently. And, and we're going to take out the early part of the, you know, the two thousands with the uh, with the down years there, but for the consistency that they've been able to put together, and to talk about them as as putting three New Year's Day or New Year's six games in four years, I mean, it says something about the consistency of where they're at. So that's why I rank them number two. Um, you know, I, I think you can make an argument for Wisconsin given where they're at, but Penn State for what they've done in the last ten years, for what they've been through in the last nine years. Um, is a pretty remarkable run for them. And, and I think it can, they can, they have room to continue to add to that ceiling. Absolutely. And, and if I, if you were told in 2012, uh, where Penn State was at that point, what they were working with in scholarship sanctions and just really dealing with, uh, as a community. And you said, well, at the end of this decade, you're going to be ranked ahead uh, of Michigan, uh, which by the way, Michigan's going to have Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. In 2012, Jim Harbaugh was leading his NFL franchise to a Super Bowl appearance. You know, that says something about Penn State to be ahead of Michigan, according to these two Penn State beat reporters. But I think, you know, the consensus right now certainly is that Penn State is in a better position entering the 2020 season. You look at the consensus rankings, and I think if you had a conversation with a lot of folks about the five-year span, they would agree with us that Penn State is that team in between Ohio State and and Penn, and Michigan or Wisconsin. So, uh, yeah, you're right. A tremendous uh, effort by the people, in, in starting with James Franklin and and and, uh, and just across the university that have gotten the program to this point. Um, that's going to do it for our mailbag. We, we we spent some time on that one um, from last episode. By the way, the the mailbag question that we turned into a, a draft and and had a lot of fun with. You can vote for the winner of that matchup. Uh, Sean thinks he has it in the bag. We shall see what happens. Uh, but go to lines247.com. When you hear this podcast, it's going to uh, be up there on the front page of the site. Voting will probably be open for like a, a week, I guess, uh, four days. I don't, I don't know how long these polls stay open, but get over there. Uh, check out our teams. We, we threw you our personnel uh, packages as far as what we think they're going to look like. And they're interesting to say the least, but we, we hope you guys had some fun with it. And we hope you cast your vote. Sean, um, you got. Uh, let me just t- say this: We talked about linebackers. That linebacker unit is something that you've put together. That that is that is something nasty. I, I will get. Uh, it's it's got a lot of potential. It is something. I'm not sure what it is, but it's something. <laughs> you got Micah flanked by uh, Jason Oway and Smith Vilbert. So I don't think you're throwing over those guys. But uh, and and Oway's. I think Oway's athletic enough to play linebacker. Um, Vilbert kind of on the edge on because he's just a, such a big guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. When you t- when you talk about drafting five offensive linemen versus 
and you need four defensive linemen, I mean, it's kind of automatic at that point that you're going to have somebody, you have Brandon Smith on your offensive line. So good luck with that one, buddy. Um, yeah, no, but, I, I was going to say, I, I, I could have ended up with a pretty interesting linebacker group, which already has Sean Clifford and Pat Fryerbooth. If I didn't take the plunge for Brandon Smith and sacrifice my offensive tackle spot, I don't know what my linebacker group would have looked like. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. But yeah, like I said, go vote for me. I know I won, but you can <laughs> reinforce my beliefs over Tyler's. Um, but no, I, I appreciate everybody following that. And uh, we had some positive feedback on it, which is always good, especially in, in, in the early onsets of July. Well, drop your five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Throw in your question. We want to get to a bunch of them in the next few weeks, starting with our first episode next week. In the meantime, I wish everyone a nice 4th of July weekend. Uh, Hopefully you're out and about. It's going to be heating up here in Happy Valley. Uh, Quick shout out to Mike Kosicki, friend of the show. Got engaged during the last couple of days. Uh, So congratulations to Mike making the most of his offseason. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Stay informed on Lions247.com. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue, and we thank you for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.